Today's story contains gender dysphoria. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to A Story Most Queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles, written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices, pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. This week's story is read with permission by Simon & Schuster Audio. A chapter excerpt from Sorted, Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place, a transgender memoir, available for purchase everywhere now, written and read for this podcast by Jackson Bird. Chapter 17. I Must Not Tell Lies. The haircut had done its job. If it had been a test to determine whether transitioning would be right for me, I was feeling fairly certain I was on the right path. At the very least, I was excited to try out different ways of styling it and dyeing it fun colors, things I'd hardly ever been excited to do with long hair. I could finally wear all the cool hats I'd collected over the years that didn't fit over a ponytail. And if the new haircut did emphasize the roundness of my face, I hardly noticed and couldn't care less. Matt would even tell me a few weeks later, when I nervously revealed to him that I was questioning my gender over post-work drinks at a conference in Philadelphia, that he and Lauren thought there was a new energy around me after the haircut, like I had broken free from chains that had been weighing me down. With the short haircut and my wardrobe veering between androgynous and full-on men's attire, there were a few instances where, for the first time since that fateful funnel cake purchase in fourth grade, I was actually mistaken for a guy. At least until I opened my mouth and my high voice ruined the effect. My favorite instance of this was when President Jimmy Carter was on my flight to South Carolina to attend the Quidditch World Cup. I was attending the Quidditch World Cup, that is. I never saw President Carter at the Potter-inspired sports event, but he was on my flight, so who knows? I thought this was odd at the time, but I've since learned that he was instrumental in deregulating the airlines and continues to fly commercial to support the industry. What a gem. Before we took off, President Carter, flanked by half a dozen security guards, walked down the aisle to shake the hands of every single passenger. When he got to my row, he shook my hand and said, Nice to meet you, young man then leaned a hand on my shoulder to reach over me and shake the hands of the two women sitting in the middle and window seats of my row. As he walked away, he ruffled my hair with a chuckle. Jimmy Carter gendered me correctly! What's even wilder is that a few years later, a trans woman friend of mine who wasn't totally out yet happened to meet President Carter at an event, and he gendered her correctly too! Man's got a sixth sense for correctly gendering trans people. If I'm being honest... I was never mistaken for a guy per se, but rather for a young boy, probably 15 at the very oldest due to my lack of facial hair and tiny frame. Even when people read me as a woman, I still looked several years younger than I actually was. This frustrated me at times. I was 24. I had a bachelor's degree and a 401k. I had employees for Pete's sake. It was bizarre to be treated like a child while encountering all the challenges and joys of being an independent adult. Part of that frustration, though, was that for all the realities of adulthood I faced and enjoyed, 
I felt stunted in my growth. I did feel younger than my peers, especially the women in my life. I didn't feel like one of them at all. While at 18, I felt like I had cracked the code and fit in with newly adult women, at 24, I saw the women around me changing and maturing in ways that I definitively wasn't. The interests they were adopting, their modes of dress, their ways of interacting with the world, it all felt like a foreign language, one I had been supposed to learn but skipped out on the classes for. It was becoming more and more apparent to me that this mask of girlhood was expiring. I had to grow up, and considering I couldn't even make my mouth form the word woman in reference to myself, it was clear what the path forward needed to be. But I just couldn't bring myself to come out as a man and start transitioning yet. I still hadn't really accepted that I was transgender. That all my desperate attempts to live a normal, successful life would now be marred by this stigma. I had fully internalized the world's shame surrounding trans people, and was embarrassed by the thought of people knowing this part of me I had kept so deeply hidden for so long. As a sort of compromise, I had started divulging to people who were queer themselves, or familiar with non-binary genders, that I was maybe not quite female. I would tell them, If I could take a magic pill and wake up completely male with no one ever noticing or caring, I would. But as it exists in our reality, I'm not sure. If they pushed further, I would allow them to use the gender-neutral pronouns they and them in reference to me, but only around other people who were in the know about my gender confusion. This was a good experiment to see if perhaps I was not a man or a woman, but perhaps non-binary. I did, after all, have quite a few feminine qualities that had always made me doubt I could really be a man like sometimes preferring conversation to sports, or having an interest in fashion, or crying when I got overwhelmed. But were those true core qualities about me, or qualities that had been allowed to flourish because I had grown up free of the restrictions put on boys? And did certain character qualities or interests make a man anyway? Why couldn't I be a man who likes rom-coms? As far as I've been able to tell, the only thing that really defines a gender at the end of the day is the innate sense you have deep down inside. When I thought about a life lived in between the lines, using they and them pronouns, always subject to strangers' confusion and judgment, I knew it wasn't who I was. Yet there still remained just enough doubt in my maleness for me to fear coming out and physically transitioning. I was always belaboring the possibility that I could be unhappy with transitioning and decide to live as a woman again. No matter how small a probability there was of this happening, I was frightened of living as a woman with the facial hair, deepened voice, and squared jaw that testosterone would eventually cause. It all goes back to my internalized stereotypes of what women should look like. In more lucid moments, I acknowledged how telling it was that I could only stomach being a woman if I could be the societally perfect image of one. And on the other hand, I felt I would be happy being any kind of man. The breaking point came at LeakyCon that summer after my big haircut. On the final night of the annual Harry Potter conference, it was once again time for the Esther Earl Charity Ball. 
But unlike previous years, this time I had only packed a dress. There was no suit backup. Since wearing a dress once or twice a year hadn't been bothering me too much ever since I discovered that mental switch I could flip on and off, I had decided to just go for it. I didn't want to make a big deal out of my gender by showing up in a suit, and only packing the dress would save space in my luggage. That was a mistake. From the second I put on my standard little black dress alone in my hotel room, something felt off. I couldn't flip the switch. I was looking in the mirror and all I could see was an ugly, mannish person in a dress. No doubt the short hair wasn't helping that image. With my long hair, I'd been able to wear it down, style it a tiny bit, and create a feminine mystique. With my short hair, I couldn't see that transformation anymore. That is not to say that people with short hair can't look attractive or cool or feminine in dresses, and a spectator might have thought I looked like any one of those things. But for me, staring at myself in the mirror, all I could see was wrong, wrong, wrong. I hadn't felt this prickling, full-body discomfort inside and out since I was a little kid, clawing at my parents in desperation as they pulled a dress over my head. Despite the sickly feeling rising from my stomach, I went down to the ball to meet my friends. The ball, for all the grief it has caused me over the years, was always one of my favorite parts of the conference. I loved getting to dance around and let loose with all my friends after a stressful several days of presenting programs and managing vendor booths. But if I had thought my discomfort was bad when I was alone, it got much worse when other people could see me too. The friends I was meeting up with weren't downstairs yet, and as I stood off to the side texting them, some folks spotted me and asked for photos. I squeezed my discomfort into a pained smile for a handful of selfie requests, but the pain was mounting inside me. I didn't want these people to see me upset, so I excused myself and found an empty programming room to hide out in until my friends arrived. Once I got the text that said everyone had finally made it to the cavernous exhibition hall where the ball was being held, I took a deep breath and tensely emerged back out among the leaky con goers. My friends were huddled around one of the white cloth-covered tables lining the perimeter of the hall near the pop-up bar. They were all in good spirits, admiring one another's interpretations of ball wear. While I'd always felt pressure to wear a simple dress, the wardrobes at the annual ball vary widely. Some go the whole ten yards in glittery gowns and three-piece suits, pretending it's the prom they wish they'd had as teenagers. Others cosplay, wearing wizard robes and Hogwarts house ties. Still others don their usual jeans and sneakers. Despite our desires to impress and delight at one another's creative choices, it truly is a judgment-free zone. I wanted to join in on the fun. I wanted to flip the switch in my head that allowed me to relax, but I couldn't. I felt intensely uncomfortable, and the feeling of everyone's eyes on me only added to my stress. My whole body was seething with nerves, wrapped in annoyance, and topped with disappointment in myself. When one of my friends held up his phone to take a picture of me, thinking the peeved-off scowl on my face was funny, I'd had enough. I shoved his hand down, inadvertently throwing his phone down to the hard concrete of the exhibition hall floor. His phone was unharmed, but he'd gotten the idea. 
no more pictures. Perhaps understanding that my irritation went deeper than a slight annoyance at the night's affairs, he went to get a round of drinks and pointedly handed the first one to me. I downed it in one gulp and then decided I needed to leave. Dancing with my friends until the early hours of the morning was usually my favorite part of the conference, but I couldn't stand the eyes on me while I felt so miserable, and it was clear I was going to bring down everyone's good vibes with my churlish mood. I shuffled back up to my hotel room with my head down, not responding to anyone's hellos as I went. When I got to my room, I tore off the dress and wrapped myself in my familiar hoodie and Levi's before screaming into a pillow for a solid ten minutes. After a good while of listening to emo songs while sobbing, I went into the ensuite bathroom to clean up and took a hard look at my blotchy, snot-streaked face in the mirror. That was the moment I realized I couldn't keep lying to myself. I'd been making excuses for years, but they were all played out. Transitioning was no longer a choice. It was a necessity. I couldn't keep living the path of someone I wasn't. There was no time for major life revelations, however. Dress or no dress, I had to be back down in the exhibition hall by midnight to participate in a surprise for the conference attendees. I had hosted and helped produce a video to celebrate the life of Esther Earle, the young woman the ball was named after, who had been a LeakyCon attendee before passing away from cancer a few years prior. The video was going to start at 11.55 p.m., ending in a coordinated blast of music and confetti cannons exactly at midnight to ring in the start of Esther Day a holiday in Esther's honor that is celebrated on August 3rd every year by telling the people in your life that you love them. Even with all the emotions I was battling, I wasn't going to miss something I had worked so hard on. So I swallowed my tears and headed back down to the ball in my jeans and hoodie. The video and confetti drop went off flawlessly. There weren't many dry eyes in the hall as we all reflected on the impact Esther had had on our community and the incredible work her friends and family continue to do for other families battling cancer. Duties done, I went back up to my hotel room exhausted. When I flew home the next day, I made a call to start seeing a gender therapist to begin the slow but certain journey of physically transitioning. This week's episode was a chapter from Sorted, Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place, a transgender memoir. Available now where all books are sold. Sorted was written by Jackson Bird and read by the author for this podcast with permission from Simon & Schuster Audio. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. It really helps others find us. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. You can also check out mischiefmedia.com for the other shows on our network. Are you a fan of His Dark Materials or Supernatural? Are you a fan of going just way too hard? Why not listen to Extraneous? We're out every Monday and Thursday. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.